Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So, you excited for the National Football League stuff this weekend, or are you still sticking with the bottom of the table hockey team? Ooh, Ooh. cheap shot. (laughs) Well, you know, we're we're also at the bottom of the table with you, so. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of crushed me last night watching them lose to the Columbus after being up 2 0. It was like, really? (sighs) But uh, yeah, I guess I still got to watch a hockey game, which is fun. I'm actually enjoying getting back into the rhythm of being back at work after having a lot of time off in December. So it's nice to socialize and engage and talk to people on teams. And Are you going into the office or no? I'm starting to do one-on-ones with folks um, like late afternoons, So which then encroaches into going to the pub for a beer. So that's kind of where <laughs> I'm at right now with you in person. Well played, <laughs> well played. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Hey, so uh, this week we've got uh, just a few links to talk about and nothing super developer-y, but it's obvious stuff folks should be should be aware of. The first one is uh, one that you actually brought to us, advanced performance approaches to deliver high quality experiences in Microsoft Teams. And this is a quite lengthy uh, post from Mark Longton, who I'm guessing works in a Teams group to talk about Teams performance, which is obviously something that's been on everyone's uh, mind for a long, long time. Um, do you have some insights into this? Because a lot of these charts look fancy, but I don't quite understand the metrics. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting. Like with the, the way the blog post is written, I think there's a lot of like internal knowledge of terminology and stuff that we use uh, without it's been written. And it probably could have done with a little bit more polish to make it kind of readable by someone that isn't you know, in the thick of it. But um, the big thing that I was aware of that I know they were focused on was the time to interactive. So from the time that a window is composed, i.e. it's being rendered, to the time you can actually start typing and send a message was is really important. We've all experienced it a bit with Teams, depending on what machine you're on. And they're specifically got baselines for various different processors, you know, Core i7s and Core i5s, Core i3s. And they're showing like what it used to look like. So as an example, Core i7 was mm, like 1100 milliseconds. um, And the optimizations they've done has brought it down to 400 and a bit milliseconds. And so it was kind of interesting to see like with the work they're doing with what is required to render to type a message versus everything else that has to render. And I have noticed it in meetings and stuff where, you know, things stop showing up after the core UI is showing. So it makes it a little bit more usable more quickly because, you know, Teams is getting big. You know, it's, if you try to compare it to Skype, it's, there's a lot of extra functionality that you get from just calling and chat. So then obviously they're encouraging people to build apps in it. So they need to make sure that this thing doesn't become some monolithic uh, platform that takes forever to load. So I'm I'm really happy that they're sharing some of their learnings and hauling their focus. 
There are a few things I would like to share, but I just don't know if I can. So I'm going to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All I can say is, is so sometimes it freezes and gives you a weird message and sometimes it's just fine. So, and I, I can't say I quite understand all the low level stuff they're doing, but I, my takeaway is someone is spending time looking at it and working on it and they say the word significant investment. So I'm encouraged that they'll get there. And uh, so it's nice to them at least to share something's moving. And at the bottom, please share feedback feedback on the on the team's feedback portal so a call to action for folks if you have specific questions or feedback for them certainly you can share it and someone's at the other end of the line so thanks for posting that folks great to see yeah and that's a series they said so that's just one of x that they're going to do on this so um yeah i'm excited to see how they go with that the next blog post is also a part of a series. Mark Rusinovich has an updated one. Now, this is actually a couple months old, but um, surfacing it this week for our listeners. Advancing service resilience in Azure Active Directory with its backup authentication service. This is important because I'm sure many of us will remember the meltdown that happened in the South Central Data Center. South Central, it's probably been over a year now. Uh, but this is a great blog post that will talk a bit about what if Azure AD service goes down, there is this backup service that will continue to issue tokens. And, and obviously there's, you know, some compromises that have to happen if, if the original, you know, source of truth is, is not there, but in outage mode, the, the, the TELDR is that if you have a session cookie and a, a refresh token and you say, give me, you know, uh, an access token, they'll look see if, if nothing's changed in your session, you haven't closed your browser window, it will give you, they'll give you an updated token and life goes on. So most users who have a Teams app open or SharePoint page open or Exchange Online open won't notice any differences. They just keep moving along even though the service may be down and, and in what they call outage mode. So it's great to see that the, the this this critical service is being um, beefed up and, and they're thinking about how do we keep users working even if we're having an issue. So thanks to Mark and his team for posting on this. Fun fact about Mark, I got to share the stage with him in Barcelona at TechEd way back in the day when I was actually at Avpoint and I get to come on stage and present the Avpoint products and how it was running in Azure. For those that probably, I mean, you may realize from photos, but he is really tall. And so when I presented next to him, the producers of the keynote made me stand on a box <laughs> so that I was a similar height to him. And there was a few people like contacting me afterwards being like, I didn't realize you were so tall, Jeremy. I'm like, I'm not, I'm literally standing on a box. And so in the, I've got, I kept the recording because they've actually started to take them down from the channel nine now, because you see me go on stage first and step up. And then you see Mark come on rather than just us both walk up and then see me suddenly gain six inches. <laughs> They're hoping people would have forgotten that you have. Uh... <laughs> yeah. But he was a really good sport with it. Uh, super, super nice guy. And um, yeah, it's great to see what he's done with his career at Microsoft. Um, the next one, again, uh, learnings and pitfalls. This is a fascinating article, somewhat lengthy. Um, Pete Apple posted on, on the Microsoft Inside Track blog, the learnings, pitfalls, and compromises of Microsoft's expedition to the cloud. And um, there are some, there's some old school badges here, including a five and a quarter inch floppy diskette uh, in the picture at the top of this. So if you give it an example of, of Pete's system or Pete, Pete's journey at Microsoft and what he's done. So this is 
is talking about how Microsoft has gotten to the cloud. And, and there's obviously lots of things that uh, that you could carry forward. So it's great. It's great reading um, to uh, to uh, to catch up on, <laughs> including the last one. Microsoft uses a scream test to silence its unused servers. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome stuff about that. So this now now that most of us organizations have moved to the cloud, you've got stuff lying around that you're not using or, or trying to get there. Great, great series from from Pete on this. So thanks to him for that. And then the uh, the last link is on the the SharePoint community blog, and this is Andre Espov who's posting about the title is "Build Fast Offline Capable Microsoft 365 Web Applications," and this is specifically around the Microsoft Lists app. Obviously, this is a, a newish thing in the SharePoint space of running Microsoft Lists, and you can install it as a PWA which I've done. And the, this is his talk about how it's built on the pieces that Microsoft List brings to the table, the the, the project nucleus uh, work that happened there as well. So it's again, a little peek behind the scenes of what Microsoft engineers are doing and how we can pick that up ourselves and move forward. So thanks to, uh, thanks to Andre for hosting this. Yeah, and it's nice to see them focus on PWA. I just literally had a meeting with Nicola Michulev this morning who was working on the Microsoft Graph Toolkit, but now Sebastian Levert, that was in my team, is now in Kristen's team in DevX, owns uh, the toolkit. You know, he cares deeply about the MGT stuff, and he was asking about, you know, how's all that going now? And But it was interesting because he was talking through all the PWA work that he's doing with those that might be familiar with, like Beth Pan and Nick Vault and so forth. And uh, they're doing some really cool stuff over there with uh, PWA and making it easy for partners that maybe have got apps they've built on a web stack and having them so they can run in Windows 11 and take advantage of some of the native stuff that's inside Windows 11 notifications and location and so forth. So, you know, if you're thinking about yourself building these native applications that run inside of an operating system like Windows or Android or iOS, the PWA tech is really, really cool. And his team is kind of heavily working on the getting started content for PWA. So it's not just about what it used to be. was like, you just go put your web app URL in there and it would go build all the manifest files so you could run it as a PWA. But now they're doing all the initial training content there too. So definitely go check out the Microsoft stuff that's kind of tied super closely with the Microsoft Edge team they work with. So it's pretty cool. You know, and if you're writing standalone web apps, it's worth doing this. Let me just give you a perspective from just a user, right? So obviously I have multiple tenants to test different things and our staging and production. And I make a PWA out of the Azure portal and out of the Azure, the DevOps portal. So they get their own little icon. So now I don't have to worry about which of these 18,000 edge windows has has my uh, has my Azure portal. I know it's a, a different link because it's got a separate icon. So just a little tip like that makes your app so much easier for, for users to launch and interact with. So great to see that. So we'll certainly have to, have to look into how that works. Not that our apps are standalone, but it's great to see what's coming down the pipe. So this week on the show, we talked with Christoph Humbert. Christoph is a developer in sunny San Diego. He made me jealous talking about it before we hit record. But Christoph has published the teleportation SharePoint extension. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll let Chris explain what that really, Chris, will explain about that means. But in general, he, he talked to us about work he's done in the PMP community and, and stuff for uh, augmenting the SharePoint web part property pane. So thanks, Christoph, for coming on. And uh, that's it. We'll uh, get, uh, get to talk to you folks again next time. Thanks, mate. Have a good week. 
Today on the show, delighted to welcome Christoph Humbert. Welcome, Christoph. Please tell me I did the name correctly, which you I don't did. usually do. <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, Excellent. French name. So, uh, I'm French, but uh, living in, uh, in San Diego. Uh, I moved to San Diego 20 years ago, uh, then uh, spent a bit of time in China and moved back to San Diego uh, in 2011. And that's, that's where I've been uh, since then. I am t- so jealous because the weather here in Chicago today is is Arctic. So, totally. But anyway, so other than living where the weather is always perfect, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. So, uh, I just uh, changed jobs uh, six mo- about six months ago. And currently, I'm an applications architect in a f- law firm called Davis Wright Remain, DWT. And uh, which is uh, headquartered in Seattle. So uh, we have a, a big client over there that uh, you know very well. And uh, so, so uh, I'm part of a, a knowledge management department. And that's really where I like to be, which is not IT. So it's kind of, uh, I see that this kind of new fusion uh, departments where we're trying to uh, find solutions. So we're trying to find solutions and not necessarily through code or development, but it could be also no code and uh, or local. So we're trying to bring all this together and find, you know, the best paths uh, as opposed to choosing one path, having a, a mix, I would say, a mix of those uh, low-code, no-code, full-code uh, developments. Have you always straddled that, Christophe? Like, I, I followed your blog and your tweets for a long time and just say, I learn a lot from just kind of following along from how you share what you're learning as you go. Did you start off as like a full dedicated developer and kind of evolved into this role? Or did, did you come the other way and become learn the development space? The other way, yeah, yes, uh, that's a that's a very good point. So uh, I'm really uh, originally, and uh, so that's why I'm a little bit off. I would guess in, in this show <laughs> that I, I'm not a, a developer. I, I'm from the business analyst and the functional consultant side. So I worked on uh, business process engineer reengineering. I worked on uh, SAP implementations in the past, and then uh, one day I met uh, I met SharePoint, and this is where my transition happened from uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, being uh, on the functional <laughs> side to uh, moving to the low code and then to, to full code. So that, uh, maybe that's a way I could present it. It's SharePoint was my low code approach, approach at the time where we didn't have all those tools, but already we had web parts and we had the infamous content editor web parts. And this is where I started my, my coding. So uh, I, I started directly in, uh, in JavaScript. I don't have much experience in uh, other languages. So the whole story over uh, 15 years has been with, uh, with JavaScript. And on your blog, you, you, you have a, a bunch of content on content editor and, and the client side rendering, which a lot of folks you know, remember. And, and personally, I never thought of that as a low code solution, but I totally understand where, where you're coming from. Yeah. Just to, start, to get, you know, we're always interested in hearing how folks view that transition from what you used to do in SharePoint to this new SharePoint online space. And so uh, obviously SPFX is, is the new model here. And there's some other areas where SPFX reaches the other apps, but. See, 
yes, for me, it's a continuity here uh, between the content editor, from the content editor web part to uh, SPFX. So uh, we know uh, people have difficulty transitioning from the server side, from uh, .NET to now the new approach, this is uh, JavaScript and uh, SharePoint framework. But for me, uh, it's really the same idea that you have that code that can run on the page and uh, you have this uh, static, uh, static page approach where uh, you run the JavaScript and then you use an API to connect to the back end. So it's, it's the way I've been using uh, the content editor web part in the past, and I don't see much difference. Well, uh, SharePoint Framework, of course, is more powerful. It brings all those additional tools, but the basis is really the same. And, and I could speak about uh, an experience I had a couple of years ago, uh, where I, uh, I was uh, in, so including included in a team of developers where we were building an application on SharePoint 2016. And we started uh, with uh, SharePoint Framework on, um, on 2016. And very quickly, I realized the limitations and I offered to switch to a content editor web part and we were able to do more powerful things uh, with the content editor web part in SharePoint 2016. So that's more of a, an anecdote because uh, I would imagine that today most people are on SharePoint Online and uh, there's no way you can compare that old, uh, those old methods with what we can do today with the SharePoint framework, but we're still in the same uh, mindset. What was your journey to learning out of interest? I mean, because I found, you know, I'm originally a .NET developer or ASP developer, ASP.NET.NET, and then... You know, I dabbled with JavaScript on the client side, but then as soon as these things went to Angular React, it was like running head on to a wall. So I just wonder, like, how did you get your hands around SPFX from kind of, you know, JavaScript in a single iframe or whatever? Yeah, well, maybe we can, yeah, we can talk about the community because this is where it's really helpful. Where I try, yes, instead of banging your head against the wall, you just take those samples that you have available uh, on the PNP and you install it to run it and then you start moving things around and playing with it. But the really great thing is that right away it works. So, well, it, it takes a little bit of uh, getting accustomed to the, the tool set and not getting too, uh, I would say, too much uh, impressed with because what you get when you use you start using those tools is you download on your computer you get not only your your code but you get also the whole tool so you have the shrink wrap you have the, the garb you have all all the tool set that comes with it so the first thing is not to get too much impressed and uh, uh, try to focus but once you focus on the code and you get those samples then i find it very easy very convenient and uh well thank Thank you for the community to make it, uh, for making all those samples available because you can just, you know, move around. Uh, that's, for example, that fantastic uh, PNP search web part. And uh, at some point, I was trying to build uh, an employee directory and uh, I just took that web part, that search web part, I tweaked it a little and it, I got my employee directory right away uh, here in SharePoint. So uh, that's uh, that's how I try to approach it while uh, small bytes and uh, with the help of, uh, of samples. And, and so the, the, 
the learning bits there, right? So if you just take the, the search web part and start tweaking it, the, there's part of that is the JavaScript bits or the React bits that you have to do. Part of that is understanding SharePoint. Yeah. Part of that is understanding SharePoint search. So in your experience, where was the rough edge there? Was it in the language or was it in the using of SharePoint? So, so the reference, um, it was in, in the language. So my, my issue, my, my personal issue, because I, I don't come from the .NET world, was to understand that language and that TypeScript with all, you know, what was new to me, the classes, the types, that uh, maybe for me, it was kind of complicating the, the language. I was, uh, I was coming from JavaScript. It was very easy, a very low bar barrier to entry. And then suddenly I got, I had to pass, go past all those uh, classes. So I, I would say my experience maybe coming from, uh, the, the client side front end is maybe very different from, uh, from others. But, uh, the language was a, a big barrier. And uh, I actually had uh, a period of time where I had a very tough transition. So when I realized at some point that I had to go there, so I couldn't write any uh, plain JavaScript anymore, I had to go to TypeScript, I had to go to those classes and types, and I also had to go to modern uh, champion. So all of this happened at the same time. And uh, I really, I mean, uh, I, I would say there's no, maybe no secret here. You just have to to stop, look around and uh, and choose a path and uh, work hard. So that's what I did with uh, with TypeScript and, uh, and React. Maybe I was also a little bit lucky in my choices uh, because uh, uh, I picked initially JavaScript long, long ago and then I picked React and they just turned out to be uh, what uh, what Microsoft were using, so I didn't have to invest that much. But uh, I, I would say there's no uh, no miracle here, and there's a bit of uh, effort required. I've met countless of developers who picked Angular and then <laughs> then had to throw it away or, or set it aside because that's not what it. But it totally makes sense. Yeah, my my reasoning, yeah, was uh, uh, so Angular was more powerful than React, but. So that's the thing because uh, we have we are working within the Microsoft 365 world. Microsoft is already making choices for us, so that's why we don't have that much exploration to do. And the reason why I picked React is really because I thought there was also already a lot of strength in the Microsoft uh, 365 world with everything APIs and back uh, backend. And all I needed was really the UI part, and that's why uh, React seemed more more appropriate than any other framework. Now, earlier you mentioned you were writing even a plain JavaScript back in SharePoint 2016 that were calling back to APIs. So are you generally, or is your experience with calling Microsoft provided APIs or are these you know, custom ones that your colleagues have built or something different? So really, uh, all my experiences with uh, Microsoft provided APIs—that's uh, kind of uh, where uh, my, what I was saying about React is because I was able to connect that uh, React front end with uh, the SharePoint API and also and now with Microsoft Graph API. So that's uh, all I've used and that I find really uh, really convenient. I uh, back in the days. I actually wrote my own library. That was, you know, uh, what what we have now. Uh, we have that uh, huge PNPJS library that does everything. And uh, so also here, uh, there was a learning curve for me because uh, at some point I had to adopt uh, PNPJS, and I, I'm glad I did. But uh, before that, I actually wrote my whole uh, library, API library, based on the on the SharePoint REST. Wow! <laughs> so I, I had 
that huge library. Yeah, my, I had that huge li uh, JavaScript library. So I had a part that looked a bit like jQuery because I wrote my own promises, uh, Polyfill. I had a bit that was like uh, PNPJS. I had a bit that was also like uh, SP services because it was, at, at the time, I, I needed both. So uh, I was able to call either the SOAP services or the REST services, depending on, uh, on what I needed. And that was overwhelming. <laughs> and, uh, so that's, that's kind of the issue. And that's where the community comes in is that, uh, I tackled this individually and I never saw the end of it. I released the library. I used it with a, a few clients, but, uh, at some point I couldn't keep the pace. And that, that's really where uh, the community comes in because uh, by getting help or, you know, working together on those solutions, we get something much more powerful and also that uh, can keep the distance. What would be your advice for someone that's listening to the show that maybe isn't in the community yet, but has been doing this work and maybe using those things, but feels they want to contribute back? Like, what did you do when you first kind of got into space and what kind of motivated you to start contributing yeah so maybe i did it the wrong way so i'm not going to advise to do it my way uh, because I'm, I'm kind of so that uh, you know uh, lone wolf uh, where i was i was pu uh, publishing my contributions in my own blog so we talked about my blog my own blog i even set up at some point uh, a sharpen site public sharpen site and I have my GitHub as well. I would not advise to, to do that. It's much better if you do it uh, as a group, as a community. So uh, instead of uh, doing your own, really look, first look at what others have done and maybe try to improve it. I, I would say even the fun thing to do is uh, maybe just give feedback. Take, take a solution that exists, run it, give feedback to that developer, and that's going to create already that sense of community. And uh, also for the person who receives the feedback, and uh, that's just what happened to me uh, a couple of days ago with uh, Sebastian, uh, all that feedback, uh, it's, it's really important for us that somebody uh, is interested in your solution and takes the time to get the feedback. It's really a, a powerful, uh, powerful feeling and it incites you to do even more. So that, that's when I, I would start. And, uh, and then maybe it could also be just a little, as little thing, and that's something I do a lot, as fixing uh, the doc Microsoft documentation, because, uh, you know, uh, that's those typos, typos, and you have access. So as an end user, you have access to that Microsoft documentation, you can fix it. So that's the kind of thing I, I like to do. Um, just make a small change. So that's what I did in one of the PNP solutions, make a small change to a solution and republish it. And I, I think starting with those small steps, it's a way, you know, to take, uh, to, to test the temperature of the community and also get people to appreciate you and then to, uh, to talk to you in more and, and then in turn help you when you have a solution to publish. Uh, yeah, I would take it one step, uh, one step at a time. And uh, that's my, uh, well, my experience. It's, it's really the way I've approached it recently when I got back in the community with its uh, new TypeScript and PNP uh, approach. It's not the way I did it in the past, and uh, probably I didn't do it the right way. Uh, you know, if I want to compare with what uh, someone like Mark Anderson did, I think he 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 made the right choices from the from the start. 
Well, but you know, not the right way is kind of a, a, a hard to understand term because if it solves a business problem and your customers are happy, then I guess it is the right way, right? So, and I would just <laughs> uh, t- chime in. Your, your all your tips are perfect, and and don't be afraid to, that it's not the right way because if it solves a need or meets a need and solves a problem, folks are going to happy with that. Now yes. we talked. Uh, we talked a little bit around about different solutions. So you you've published a solution that we uh, I see it's called the Property Pain Portal. So let, tell us what is this? What is this? Uh, property pain portal thing that you've you've built. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk uh, a bit about uh, technology and uh, and the SharePoint framework. So the property pain is a part of of the SharePoint framework. So when you build a solution with the SharePoint framework, you have the web part itself, which is the part that your users are going to see on the page, and then you have the property pane, which is more the configuration side. So. Uh, it's going to be more the owner of the page who is going to go there and it's a, a form. So basically it's a form that you're going to fill out for uh, all your configuration needs for that web part. So maybe also what's interesting about the SharePoint framework is we're talking about web parts uh, in SharePoint, but it's also a tab in Teams. It's also now, uh, it's part of the dashboard as well. So we're seeing that property pane that uh, hopefully is going to expand so you can leverage the use across all those different workloads and those different solutions in Microsoft 365. Well, I, I think a property pane, very useful, very important. Now, so the funny part is when you start uh, building a property pane, you realize that uh, Microsoft actually used a low-code solution to do it. Uh, it means that if you need, for example, you need a text box and then you need a checkbox, you're going to say, uh, in the property pane, you're going to say, put a, ch- a, checkbo- uh, a text box here, put a checkbox here. So ex- exactly the kind of low-code approach we would expect maybe more in the Power Platform, but not uh, in the SharePoint framework. So uh, nothing against low-code, low on the contrary, and that makes it re- really accessible when you start working. But then when you build more advanced solutions, it becomes uh, trickier because what you need is a real form. And when I, I talk about real form, it's not just a bunch of controls that are aligned. It's really a whole um, interaction where you have some validation, you have interdependency between the controls, you have to manage some states. So imagine, for example, you need to select an, an item in a SharePoint list, you need a control that is going to pick the site, then you need um, a sub-control that is going to pick the right list in that site, and then you need a sub-sub-control that is going to pick the item in uh, in that list. So all of this is very difficult to build with that uh, approach of uh, that uh, functional approach of the property. Microsoft is giving us the opportunity to create custom controls and we can do that, but uh, it's still not the same experience. So when I started working uh, with the property pane, it was maybe two, three years ago. And especially I was trying to build that application that is now published on uh, on the Microsoft App Source. So a SharePoint framework uh, solution on the uh, App Source. Uh, suddenly, uh, yeah, I, I was really, you know, I hit a wall here that uh, I, I was saying I'm, I'm never going to do that uh, that way, writing that big uh, that big slice of code just uh, to be uh, to be the whole, whole form. I need something that is more flexible, that is more you the usual way we build the form, where we put all these controls, you know, in the same uh, in the same page and they can interact with each other. 
So I, I started uh, thinking about that. And uh, at some point, I had the idea, because I was in, uh, in this uh, React world, to use a solution uh, that is part of, so it's part of React, that is called Portal, and that allows you to teleport uh, a component from one place uh, of uh, the document object model to another place. And there, so that's how I got my idea that I was able to build a form, regardless of what the property pane was doing, I was able to build my form exactly the usual way we do it in, uh, in React or in, uh, in JavaScript, and then teleport each of the components to one place, uh, whatever, in the property pane. And uh, so that's, that's what... Uh, so what did the, I'm intrigued with what the SPFX engineers thought of that. So like uh, Pat and Luca and all, all that goes over there. Were they like, wow, I can't believe you thought of this. Like, um, cause that seems pretty, there's a big leap to get there. Yeah, and, uh, and that's typically the kind of things I'm bringing because I'm, I'm not a super expert developer like uh, somebody like uh, Andrew Connell or uh, Alex Trentier. So, uh, I'm, I'm the average developer, but uh, I would say my strength is to try and think outside of the box and uh, try yeah, to yeah. bring all those different components that don't seem connected at first and try to bring them uh, together to make a more powerful solution. And so to, to answer your question, well, that's where we are right now. That's uh, I would love to hear feedback on this. So first, I would like to know if it actually works, uh, because when you, you know, <laughs> when you use always <laughs> Wait, teleportation doesn't work, you're telling me? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> I'm on Mars now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that teleportation will actually work. So that's really the key question here. Uh, that's because that's when you go off the beaten path, uh, then, uh, yeah, there's a lot of question marks. And that's where I, I feel, the, you know, the feedback from the community is uh, is going to be so important. But what, what I love about also this community is also in the recent years, how Microsoft has been part of it and how the people at Microsoft has have become much more accessible. So hopefully, you know, this is the game we can play that uh, uh, they take it seriously and uh, they want to give it a try and see if it doesn't hurt any of, uh, I was going to say any of their feelings, but also any of the built-in implementation because there are some old, there's this whole life cycle on the page uh, that you don't want to break. And that's really what I try to do. Uh, I try to combine both that to make them uh, absolutely work together. So uh, I would love to hear feedback, be, I would say even before uh, talking to the experts in the community, but the experts at, at, at Microsoft see what they think and uh, if it actually works. It's quite amazing with the, the property pane. Like if you think, you know, we've had a few cracks at this, right? Like full trust solutions had property panes in their web parts and I think Sandbox Solutions had a similar implementation. ASP.NET had web parts and property panes before SharePoint adopted them. So this thing's been around forever. <laughs> right, that's right. And then when they adapted those. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the difference is now a lot is more is happening on the client side. Right, right. But uh, I, I have no idea, you know, all those mechanisms that allow to control, uh, uh, you know, how to update the properties of the web part uh, behind the scene, how it works and how permissions work. So that's also an important part to make sure that it's really the admin or the owner of the page that can update those properties and not somebody else who is just a, a reader of the page. I remember seeing like an, it was like an early prototype of SPFX where 
they had the property pane built. And one of the big cruxes of the old app models was if you changed the property pane, you had to refresh the entire page for the actual oh, part yes. rendering to reflect the property changes. And so when they showed it, because obviously it's all client side, you know, people were jumping <laughs> up and down in the internal uh, review meetings. And I kind of miss all that because obviously now it's all on Teams. It doesn't have the same, you know, wow factor. But Jeff Teepers or you said these demo days in some of the probably the buildings you've been in on, on campus mm -hmm. in Redmond, um, you know, we'd get like 120 people in the room and each engineer would run up there with their laptop, plug in and do a quick like four minute demo of whatever they're working on. And I do remember that one being a, like people were clapping and applauding and wooding and it was, you know, a really cool experience. And um, it's interesting that's kind of gone away with this remote world where, you know, a hundred people in a Teams meeting, you don't get that same energy with hands <laughs> clapping in Teams as you do as people physically <laughs> next to yeah. being like, wow, crap, Definitely. that was really cool. Definitely. And, and same. So, so Christoph, the solution that you published then, is this is this a tool that I would use to make my stuff teleport or is it really uh, just a, yeah. a, a drag and drop thing I put in there? Or can you describe how a developer would interact with it? This this is a developer tool. So uh, the solution is published on the NPM and when you create your SharePoint framework solution, so you, you use the Yaman generator or whichever tool you prefer, you, you build your SharePoint framework solution and then you have to install. So you, you're going to type the NPM install just the same way you would install React or you would, you would install TypeScript. I have uh, that solution which is available. And uh, actually, I have another one that I, I just also published uh, yesterday. So I, I can also talk about that. And, and then, well, you just use it just like a, a regular uh, module and component, and that becomes part of, uh, of the application. So you're going to write, uh, I, I can't really describe all the instructions here. But, uh, well, yeah, I understand it's in the audio only. Yeah. But, but so is it, it, is it an API that I would call to say, you know, put this control in the property pane, or is it, uh, does it end up becoming a, a component that I nest in my render method? So it, it's a function. So uh, currently, if you look at the property pane and you want uh, to put a test field, Microsoft gives you a function that is property pane test field. So you, you would just write, you know, in your code property pane test field and then the name of the, the actual name of that property. So what I've created is a similar function, but instead of being called text field, it's called just host. So you would use property pane host and uh, you would call that property. And then it would be the job of that uh, portal to teleport whatever, wherever you build uh, the form. So you can build the form then somewhere else in your application. And the role of a portal would be to teleport uh, to to that specific place. So it's kind of a beacon. So yeah. it, it acts uh, as a yeah. beacon. And then the, the control is going to land. So, so I build a tree of components, which is my form, to use your words. And then I say, hey, I want this form yes. to be contained in this host. And then I put the host in the property pane and everything else just magically happens for me. Exactly, magically. Perfect. And uh, actually, so the, the, way, the way it works is actually you can have multiple hosts. So you're going to build your form that has maybe, you know, a calendar uh, control. It's going to have a people picker. It's going to have... Maybe 
maybe a, a team speaker somewhere, uh, somewhere. So you build your form as a, uh, entity, as a, a role. And then you can send each of those controls to one different, uh, location in, uh, in the property. So it's nice. Uh, it has nice. that whole flexibility and hopefully a very, uh, smooth integration with what is already in place and offered by Microsoft. You know, that's the key thing. If I'm used to adding things into the property pane by just using that, you know, SharePoint.txt box, and now I just need to change a few words and say, you know, Christoph.host, that's perfect. I think that's great. Folks, I can see people using that uh, quite extensively. It sounds awesome. Out of interest, in the product that you have in AppSource, the in-person, which, by the way, it looks great uh, from the AppSource screenshots you have, uh, how how are you implementing that property pane for that particular app? (laughs) <laughs> so it, it's uh, it's a hack over another hack <laughs> and so on it's SharePoint that's what you do right uh, because that's what I do uh, but uh, so maybe for, for context this w- this was actually uh, my first implementation on that uh, portal so I'm I'm using the portal in that solution that is published on, uh, on AppSource now I'm saying that it's a hack because I'm actually uh, I was saying for me the property pane is more that admin entry it's for configuration. So I'm actually using the property pane for something else than just upgrading, uh, updating properties. Uh, because it's a whole application, so you need to provision. It's an application that is built on top of SharePoint list. It uses SharePoint, uh, SharePoint list or Microsoft list right. as a database. So uh, I dare, I dare <laughs> say that. And so all the provisioning needs to happen. So you also have that provisioning that right. is in the property pane. But uh, that's kind okay. of also a hack. But uh, yes, the, that was really that first use of uh, the property pane uh, portal. Here is a. Uh, here in, uh, in that property pane, because as soon as you need something a little bit uh, sophisticated, uh, you, you have some instructions. So if you go to Microsoft Docs, you have some instructions on how to build a custom control. And uh, I mean, the first time you look at those instructions, you say, uh, there's no way I'm going to do that. Uh, so I, I would expect that lots of people stop there, where they're going to, they are saying, no, I'm never going to build those uh, custom controls. It's too complicated. So you have the render level, then you have the on render level on top of the render. It's really complicated. There's one, uh, one workaround is to go to PNP again. And here you have those SPFX uh, controls that are very powerful. So it, it's actually a team. Uh, who is working on, uh, on those controls that are very useful. So currently, I would say that's the alternative. Uh, you would use those controls, but then you're limited. You cannot uh, do much customization. You just, uh, it's uh, drag and drop yeah, yeah. your property. Yeah, th- those controls are great. They look fine, but if they don't interact with each other, to your point about cascading lists, which is the, the canonical example. Yeah, so perfect, excellent. So, yeah. The, and, and the other point is also, if you look at PNP, then you need two sets of controls. You need the set of controls for the main uh, web part, and you need another set, a whole other set, just for the property pane. So uh, the idea also of the property pane portal is that you just need one set that works everywhere across the web part, or across the Teams tab, or uh, for the active, uh, active cards. 
Well, so just as you at the top, you said you're you're more of a you know a power user, low code, you're solving business problems, you're solving developer problems here. This is awesome. But if I can if I can write once and run anywhere, <laughs> that we'll we'll yeah. take it. So I really look forward to to this fleshing out, and 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 I I'm gonna have to. I'm not a big SharePoint TypeScripty guy, but I'm gonna have to go uh, kick the tires on this. It sounds awesome. Yeah, and I'm going to publish uh, a bunch of uh, samples. So I, I kind of rushed, and especially I published the second one recently. So I'm going to publish to update uh, half a dozen samples because now that we have this solution, I would say any controls so I'm trying to bring a Microsoft Craft Toolkit, I'm trying to bring Fluent UI and whatever controls exist in the world, and they should be able, we should be able to inject them in the property pane. So I'm trying to build maybe half uh, half a dozen samples that will be available, I would say, by next week. Awesome, awesome. So if folks like me want to to do this and have questions for you, I, we, we've mentioned your blog and Twitter. Can you tell us where are where out where do you hang out online for folks if they want to reach out and have questions? Well, the best place is uh, certainly Twitter. Uh, so I'm uh, passed to SharePoint on Twitter. I'm uh, passed to SharePoint on GitHub. I, I'm also uh, I used to be a big user of Stack Overflow. So uh, you can find me there, but uh, I think it's better if you had a question is to post it somewhere, but then ping me on, uh, on Twitter as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. I look forward to kicking tiredness and thanks for taking time out of your morning. And again, I'm jealous about where you're living, but uh, the, the sunshine behind you is blinding <laughs> me. But so thanks a lot for coming yeah. on. I really appreciate it. Sorry. Headed for the beach later today. <laughs> and now he's rubbing oh, in. <laughs> yeah, thanks again, Christoph. It was great to catch up. Thanks, Christoph. Thanks for having me. <laughs> For listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 